0: Is Biden's student loan forgiveness plan designed to fail? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. But before we climb up onto our diving platform, let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, you can hear all of these shows, all of my shows, and all the shows I've done up until now, at least for the foreseeable future, commercial-free in my solo feed, Deep Dives with Monica Perez, on your favorite podcasting platform. I also have a few bonus shows there, including I posted last week my appearance on the Bruniverse, Jim Brewer's podcast. That was hilarious, super fun. And on all of my feeds, you can find what seems to be a fan favorite. I have gotten numerous emails saying that this was the best show I've ever done. Monica's White Pill Summer. I just posted that. That was my last show. If you want to hear these shows commercial-free, like I said, go to Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform. You can also hear all of my stuff commercial-free and all of Binkley's stuff commercial-free on Rockfin, rockfin.com slash propaganda report. And that is the only way, besides these commercials, which pays for my producer, the only way I get uh, any kind of... Compensation for my own time is at rockfin.com slash propaganda report. So I appreciate the support there. And now we can climb up on our diving platform. It is courtesy of the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal, Biden's half trillion dollar student loan forgiveness coup. His student loan write off is an abuse of power that favors college grads at the expense of plumbers and FedEx drivers. I think that's a little, uh, excessive. I think actually you don't even have to have graduated, which in itself is a moral hazard, but boy, do I have a lot on this topic. I want to tell you what it is that Biden's doing. I want to say what the critics have claimed is really going on. I want to tell you what I think the actual agenda is. And I also want to tell you what I think the solutions are. So we're going to have a big show, really big show. (laughs) And, uh, You know, why should we care about this topic at all? Well, of course, it not only sticks the taxpayers with the bill for all of this. I mean, when the government, quote, forgives it, it means they are not getting paid for money that was already lent out. And that comes into the budget process. And it's a lot, a lot of money. This thing... Just, uh, I'll tell you what, what it's about and how much it's worth, but it's not just the money. As so many things that happen with government, I always doubt that money is the main problem. It is a social engineering scheme. It is going to change people's behavior, and I think ultimately it's meant to direct people in one career path, one life choice, rather than others. And that, I believe, is accruing to some very specific people. So I want to get into all of that. Let's start with what is it? Okay, it is, Biden announced this. So it's basically, he's saying that he's directing the Department of Education, he's directing the administration, even the Department of Labor may fold into this, that He's directing them to do certain things. Now, because it's such a huge amount of money, it's anywhere from 300 billion. I mean, that's just one element of it. It's more like 600 billion and beyond. That's a huge, huge amount of money. I mean, that's spending, that's taxes, that's something that really is not. It would be hard to argue that that's in the purview of the executive branch. They're trying to say that there were some acts. The Heroes Act and the um, an Education Act from the 60s might give him this power. But to me, it should not and may not pass constitutional muster. But it's so far written up in a press release as a kind of executive action uh, at the White House website. And I've got all of the links and everything in the show notes, which you can always find at monicasdeepdives.com where I post all that, uh, but so what he's what he's saying he wants to do, and we just don't know if he can get it done yet, is he wants to forgive loans to the tune of $10,000 per borrower for those who are earning less than $125,000 a year if, uh, if a person files jointly, I guess is how it would be looked at, then a couple would have to make $250,000 a year or less to qualify for that. Now, if you have Pell grants, which are only given to low-income people in the first place, you could have $20,000 a year forgiven. So that's what people are talking about, but there's there are a few more things that are important. But just that, I think each of those could each be around, I think the 10000 will equal around $300 billion, and the Pell could equal almost as much plus there's another thing which is there was this COVID pause in loan repayments and that actually the government it didn't pause interest it didn't allow interest to accrue the government's actually paying the interest for you during the pause so that is a costly program and he's extending that till the end of this year regardless I think of the the COVID emergency I think it's really because it was supposed to end at the end of August and you would have had a bunch of defaults of people who would have gone defaulted into default anyway, but didn't have to because there was no payments to make. There was no trigger mechanism for defaults. You have two years of pent-up defaults, even in a normal market, and here we have COVID issues, so there would have been a bunch of defaults going into the midterms. So even if it's not a carrot for midterm elections, it's definitely trying to get away from the stick that would have been these massive defaults. So they're just kicking the can on that, and that's, that's costly. But what is really interesting to me, is the stuff that they aren't talking about a lot. So that stuff should affect 43 million borrowers, 20 million of whom would walk away with no debt, that this, their school loans would be fully paid off just by that stuff alone. And it's tax exempt. So normally, loan forgiveness is considered a taxable event. So you don't even have to pay the taxes. That's another midterm thing, I think, that people, they don't want people staring down a tax issue if they're going to implement this quickly. And also another little nuance if you're interested in actually exercising this is that the parents plus loans that parents can take on behalf of their kids or can underwrite for their kids that is included. So it that adds some more qualified debt into the mix. But what I find really interesting is the proposals for expanding or refining the income-based loan program and the public service-based loan program, they're really suspensions and then forgiveness. So right now, the income-based one, loan forgiveness program, is that you don't have to pay more than 10% of your income in school loans, and whatever is left for you to pay at the end of 20 years is forgiven if you're in this low-income program or whatever. This income, You don't have to be in any program. It's just a function of how much you're making. So they're changing that to where it's not 10% of your income, but 5%, and it's not 20 years, it's 10 years. And that math like just screamed at me, this is weird. So 5% is the actual interest rate that you would pay on undergrad loans, and I think 6.5% is what you would pay on graduate loans. And this allows for undergraduate and graduate loans are all included in these programs. So, say you have $100,000 in loans, and you make $100,000 in salary. That's pretty good, right? I think, I guess they think $125,000 isn't good enough, but it would be good enough for me. <laughs> so say you make $100,000, so you're already qualifying for loan forgiveness. So I don't know, let's, let's make a bigger number. Say you have $150,000 in school loans and $150,000 in um, salary. You only have to pay 5% of your $150,000 salary and your interest is only 5% on your $150,000 of loans. So you're paying the interest. That means you're paying nothing off. And if you couldn't even afford the interest, if you were making even less than that, the government pays the interest off. It's not like it accrues to your balance. Then you're not paying, you're only paying interest. 5% is the interest. That's, that is actually what it is right now. So you would only be paying interest. And then at the end of 10 years, which is the normal lifespan of one of these loans anyway, you would have paid no principal back, and it would be completely forgiven. I mean, these are the kind of rules that that modify people's behavior. I know plenty of people, or I I know a couple of people kind of close to me, where I know their finances, and I'm sure I know many people who do it and don't tell me about it, who they know, like if you know somebody on disability, somebody old, older, they they can, they will not work. They cannot work because it will screw up their disability. My father accidentally, like he was on disability, although he said he would give it all up if they would end Social Security, he would forfeit it even though he didn't have the money for it. But, it's a, you know, it's tricky for a person of values, of morals, to take the money even if he already paid it in. But he worked anyway and he had to pay it all back. So, because uh, he just worked at something not as... Lucrative, not in his field. So people absolutely adjust their behavior to fit into these. So it's going to maximize how much it would cost to the government. And it would make people work at a job or in an amount that is suboptimal for them in a free market, which would be suboptimal for the prosperity of a free society. You have to know a little bit about economics, very little. You maybe just intuit it by that alone. So that's a terrible plan, or it's intentionally like that, and it will absolutely increase the amount that the government's on the hook, and that is not included in this $600 billion price tag. So the other thing is this public service forgiveness thing, and I remember being kind of horrified. I don't know if it was an Obama-era policy, but I remember Michelle Obama pushing it, that I knew I had a, a gal who wanted to make a little extra money babysitting for me, and she was a teacher, and, and I hired her, and she quit immediately and said, oh, the Obamas have expanded this program to get teachers out of the classroom and up to D.C. <laughs> so she left, quit her teaching job, which must have been ma- making a ton because she, was wor- she wanted to work for me, to go into government as a teacher like administrative stuff, policy making for teachers that they're literally trying to attract people into policy making. Now, I don't know how that works then because right now a teacher is qualified for this public loan forgiveness. I remember with the Obamas if you went into public service you would get your loans forgiven, but this includes government employees, educators, healthcare workers and first responders and nonprofit Uh, workers, that if you work for 10 years in any of those fields, you get all of your loans forgiven at that point. And if you have any of these kind of deferment programs or anything that you're taking advantage of, then that can really make a difference. And is there any reason for that? Are these need-based? I mean, those, those businesses, those industries tend to have really generous uh, salaries or at least benefit packages. So they're already attractive. You don't need to attract more people into those. You can let them compete in the free market because they're already very generous. But what it will do is it'll attract more people into those fields. So what you'll have is people who know that they're beholden on this system, on this apparatus. If you, wanna, if you want to create a society of statists, have them all work for the state. So that's all, all of that stuff sets up clearly socially, uh, societally shaping ideas or mechanisms in place. So what are some of the things that like the Republicans or even I've observed, some libertarians have said is the problem with this kind of stuff? Uh, For me, I, you know, it just screams at me that it's really doesn't qualify anyone for any reason. It just It just has this cutoff, which doesn't even seem impoverished. I mean, if you're making $125,000 as a single person, why can't you pay your school loans? It makes no sense. And if you were in financial distress and couldn't pay the debt back, as one tweet said, uh, answered me, why not just allow for bankruptcy? And I'll get to that later because that would actually help solve this problem if you allowed people to get rid of their loans through bankruptcy if they are actually in a position where they can't pay their debt. That'll be in my solutions section later in the show. You know, and this whole scheme, similar to what I'll discuss with the bankruptcy thing, it doesn't actually address the underlying problem, which is why do people have debt that doesn't make sense for them? And uh, I'll talk about that a little bit. I mean, policies have led to all of that, for sure. Subsidizing school loans, um, not discriminating against applicants based on the potential value of the degree they're pursuing, when you disconnect consequences and costs from decisions, you get decisions that don't take into account <laughs> costs and consequences. And that's what we have here. And what the Republicans are saying kind of plays into this, that it's it's unfair. It's unfair. It's It penalizes people who've paid their school loans off, who scrimped and saved to not get loans in the first place, who never went to college, didn't want to take on that that burden and instead went into trades and that kind of thing. And it rewards bad decision-making people who made those decisions and it didn't work out. And in a lot of cases that would be foreseeable. But as I said, they would foresee it or would have the help of a bank to help them foresee it. If they had to actually apply for a loan that the bank expected them to pay back based on their salaries. So when you can't do that and you insulate the banks from bankruptcy, the federal; These are all federal loans. Banks, if they were making purely private loans that had no federal subsidies or guarantees, would only give loans out to people that they assessed could pay them back. And that's the way it should be. And what that would do is match the skills from the educated class with the needs of the market. So right now, or the last time I saw this stat, and it's probably dramatically changed because I think it was a pre-COVID number, but there were 11 million people who were actively seeking employment and 11 million jobs that were available. That seems low on both ends, actually, or I don't know what. I think unemployment's way down, and there are a lot more jobs in the market. But let's just say in a normalized place that there's a mismatch. And that, in my opinion, is because the free market isn't functioning properly because they're insulating people from the costs and consequences of their decisions, both the banks and the borrowers. So another thing that comes out, especially in the libertarian circles, I hat tip to BP for sending me the Spike Cohen tweets that it increases tuition, uh, and also I think it was hmm, Grace Carter maybe on a Mises article. Where she said it's actually proven, it was Bill Bennett's idea when he was in the Department of Education, that if you increase these subsidies or loan forgiveness or any of that, it results in higher tuition. And from an economics point of view, I can see that because what it does is it increases the elasticity of demand. So if tuition goes up, you don't lose people from the market. Because they can just borrow money that they don't think they're going to have to pay back. So in their minds, tuition didn't go up. And the schools know that. And they they what they do is they beef up their admin, their administration. And, you know, I don't know. That's what it looks like to me. It's mostly salaries is where this comes from. So in addition to increasing tuition, to have loan forgiveness, it makes the government absorb this debt. And that means the government itself has to get more debt. And we have a debt-based currency. And since inflation is always an everywhere monetary phenomenon, if you have a debt-based currency and you increase debt, you are creating inflation. So you have increased tuition costs, which is a kind of... some It's a rise of the price level. I mean, people call it inflation. I would technically not call it inflation. But then you would actually have real inflation. And, of course, it increases debt and spending and taxes... Uh, another another issue is that Biden may not have the authority to do this because it's spending and taxes and it's a legislative thing to do. So just to put this in perspective, I and mean, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars, it seems to me that it's like around the same amount. I thought the subprime mortgage crisis, which really collapsed the economy in 2008 also because of policy decisions— I've looked this up in the course of my research several times, and it looks like the actual underlying problem was only about was $625 billion, and we're talking that kind of magnitude. Out there in the marketplace is $1.7 trillion of school debt. So if there were going to be a mass bankruptcy, I guess maybe they're trying to get ahead of it, but why not wait till it happens? You know what I mean? Like, why not wait till people actually need the bailout? Uh, and especially since we have over $30 trillion of national debt. I mean, that this that is a crisis waiting to happen, obviously. It's never going to be repaid. There's going to have to be—something's going to have to give. I think it's going to be dovetail with the central bank digital currency, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, of course— The Republicans are saying this is just a bribe headed into the midterms that they're kicking the can on the on the covid relief and they're giving people money. They're just giving people money. (laughs) And uh, I think that's probably true. It's important to understand the economic concept of subsidizing things and pushing the price of something down below its market value. Because what that does is it overstimulates consumption. You have overconsumption and undervaluation. And this is the absolute worst market to do that in, the education market. Because as you push people who maybe just like want the money so they don't have to go get a job or their parents nag them about it, they're never really serious, they were poor students so they didn't get into the school they wanted anyway. And just generally when you subsidize something, you're getting people to go who would not otherwise go. And that's okay if it's an an, like not a scarce resource, but this is not only a scarce resource or a resource that takes resources. It's as you push people into the system who are not really serious about learning or serious about being there, it literally detracts from the people who are there who would be there anyway. So it dilutes it, it it lowers the bar. You have people with bad attitudes or maybe you have people who get great, marks on standardized tests or it's easy for them and they take better spots. I knew a couple of people in law school who did that, had a lot of money. They were not really motivated. Their parents wanted to go to this fancy school. They got in, they dropped out. It was a small law school. So people didn't get in who would have been able to get in. If those people who weren't so serious, didn't have that extra financial cushion to make a decision like that. So, it just it changes people's behavior, and you have to be careful about that. All right, so that's like the, the official narrative is what's, what's in the stuff, like what is Biden doing, and what, what are the Republicans saying about it? But when I was researching, like, what is the real agenda here, I stumbled upon a document put out by Georgetown University, again, it's in the show notes, called the All-in-One System Plan. All, oh, it's, sorry, all one system plan. It's all one system, and that's how they say All one system plan. All dash one dash system plan. And it speaks a lot about the Build Back Better bill, and that could not have been too long ago. It looks like that thing kind of got split up and went away, but it hasn't been within the past year or two that they wrote this. So this is current. This is the the top-of-the-mind thinking. If it was in the Build Back Better bill, it was something Biden wanted. And that, the agenda for that, which I'm assuming, or I should say, I think it's fair to conclude that the entire higher education agenda that Biden is pushing, whether he has to put it in different bits and pieces and make up excuses about it, is all meant to feed into a bigger picture plan. And this thing, the Build Back Better stuff, is straight out of the pages of the World Economic Forum. Absolutely. I mean, the language is the same. Some of the affiliates here that Georgetown sites by name have World Economic Forum language all over it, have ESG um, professionals in on the boards. I mean, this is, I think this is all feeding into the way the World Economic Forum is thinking about not really education, but the workforce, the global workforce. That's what they're thinking about. And by the way, it is a global workforce when people start working from home. So now I'm looking at it like, how is this thing feeding into the all one system agenda? And I think there's a chance that either directly it's feeding into one of the main issues here, one of the main pushes in this all one system is about making community college free and incorporating that, integrating it with high school and tracking people into that from birth, basically, and it's targeting minorities and women. So that's what this is, and it feeds into these career paths, which I think are determined by the big companies that are involved in it, who are in those affiliated programs, who are involved in the World Economic Forum. It it seems to me that it is using the power and influence of government to feed the stem-slave pipeline— And then using taxpayer dollars and education dollars to train people to be STEM slaves. And I'll tell you all about that. But I will say, I think that one of the things I read in Biden's plan is that what he wants to do is have free community college. Like, that's a big part of his overall push. And even though he could not do it or is not proposing to do it here and now, it's still on his agenda. And it's been on a lot of people's agenda for a while. So he wants to do that. And I think that if this, what he's doing does not pass constitutional muster, they cannot get it done, that maybe they designed it that way on purpose so that you have this thing out there, this big behemoth that Republicans are puking all over and you bring it, the Democrats aren't legislating it. That's what the problem is. The Democrats aren't legislating it. That's why it might fail then you prompt the Democrats to legislate something different that Republicans haven't puked over. And just like the gun stuff, like the everything but gun laws I did a deep dive on, they can then reach out to the Republicans build a bridge as it were and let the Republicans climb on board with free community college It's not really a Republican thing, but a lot of things haven't been red flag laws weren't they can call it a compromise That's what they do and unless they get a majority and even they oh they give it up anyway Even when they have a majority, it's crazy So I think that this is either going to Backdoor by actually increasing tuition in the higher education schools and forcing people to go to community college. There's just a lot of different ways it could play in. Use your imagination, and I'm sure they are. But I'm going to tell you what the actual agenda seems to be and from this document and then when I looked into the different associations in the World Economic Forum, it all seemed to fold together. So I think that they're creating STEM slaves, so science, technology, engineering, and math. And I was really alerted to the problem with that when – Charlotte Ezerbeat, I think she pronounces her name. It's so hard to pronounce her name. When she was, I think it was an Alex Jones interview, one of his great early interviews, that she said she was in the Department of Education for Reagan, and she said this idea of STEM is not appropriate for a place where people can vote Because the liberal arts, the arts that only the free men were allowed to understand rhetoric and history and language and all of that is for you to understand uh, human society, government, um, civics, that you have to have some sense of context. And uh, uh, the, the liberal arts were not permitted to slaves, to the Greek slaves. The Romans did not permit them. And because it gives them too much power and understanding. So STEM has always been on my radar as something to be cautious about. And now that I see how they're arranging this, this whole document was about training counselors to speak to people where they are. It's all, I mean, I, I think I might say all, like people of color. It's it, one place it mentions class. So it's gender, class, and race. It's all targeting. And I don't, really don't understand why it's just targeting people of color and women, a little bit of the class stuff, but that's not dominant. And I just, I wonder if it's because... They, they just demographically, those people are less empowered, maybe more desperate to find a way out of their situation. But, you know, I think of that as a class issue. So I'm not 100% sure. Maybe I, I just don't know. Maybe they just feel like it just justifies this stuff that you, you're supposed to pity people who aren't white males or something. I don't know. But I'll have to crack that code eventually. That might be a job for Courtney Turner. So they're they're saying that counselors need to be trained in how to like help people develop their career paths. And for me, we have an exchange. We have a a facetious expression in my household. Like my husband likes the finer things in life. So, but he doesn't, he doesn't want to think about or talk about like, doesn't want to tell me what to make him for dinner, but he wants me to make him something I like, and I cannot read his mind. So I'll ask him sometimes to get in touch with his inner craving. (laughs) Just get in touch with your inner craving. (laughs) So that I have a little direction. And these counselors, there's no way they're trying to get these people, these human beings, to get in touch with their inner desires, their inner craving for their, their innermost uh like their their God-given gifts and talents, because it seems like every single one of these programs that they mentioned by name is about tech. It's it's like um their specifics mentioned too: IT, cybersecurity. Uh, they're all in that and one of them is even simply an IBM program it's it's uh, it's called P-TECH and actually I know somebody who's in it I knew right away I was like I know somebody who went for like merged high school and community college and then went went to work for IBM like as before she even graduated from high school and I, we were all like oh she's going to be at IBM for life and then when I saw that IBM had one of these programs I called her mom and I was like is she in a P-TECH. And she said, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, I think that's, you know, a way to tra- direct and train like STEM slaves. She's like, absolutely, definitely. But I'm just so glad that she's on a path. And I agree. Like, that, it's awesome. I'm happy for her. She's definitely inner city. She counts as like both the gender and the person of color and everything. And I know what it's like to be in a, you know, come up in an environment that it's can be hard to get out of. So I'm actually, and I went to community college and transferred to Harvard. So like I'm in favor of a lot of the good things. I like the local idea of community college. They say it's to keep communities together. I think it's so they can control the costs of educating the stem slaves, maximize the number of slaves they can put through the system. And why do I call them slaves? And I only say that because when you divorce people from the civics, you they're not completely aware of how policies are being shaped around them so they can vote for them, but they don't really understand it. And especially when you couple a lot of debt and um, obligation to uh, like a company that put you through it or whatever. So when you look at these debt forgiveness things, they're, they're really, I mean, to connect it with $125,000, that's pretty, that's a pretty high bar. But to the extent that they simply forgive debt of people who, Couldn't pay it off. Those are just people they tried to make STEM slaves and they failed. And they're like, okay, well, whatever. We're not, you know, let the government take that off. And one of the things that was really weird in the White House document that I read was it had this strange stat, like this carefully curated stat, that 95 that of black the typical i said typical black person i was like what does that even mean average median mean like what are you talking about but it said a typical black person who borrowed started borrowing for school in 1995 20 years later still had 95% of their school debt outstanding i mean that was such a weirdly curated statistic that i can't imagine that it is typical of anything but it's such a weird, weird number. And it that, in my mind, dovetailed with what another tweet told me about predatory lending. Like, there's this predatory lending. There's this big scandal about predatory lending where they absolutely target uh, people of color to take on loans, big federal loans, that it looks like they don't have to make any payments on to enroll in programs that really don't have a high success rate or not appropriate for them, but they spend a lot of money on marketing So I wonder if there is a whole lot of kind of moral hazard out there that isn't even necessarily part of the plan, or is, I don't know. But there's like a lot of weird things that can come out of this stuff. But I think mostly it's got uh, just a a few big purposes. One is this idea of feeding and training the STEM slave pipeline and uh, social engineering to the extent that everybody's either in this stem corporate pipelines big corporations or they're getting these public service loan forgiveness so they're in government so you have people it's straight out of brzezinski's crisis of democracy where you have people who are beholden to a what he called a non-democratic institution that they will vote as a block or always support policies that support the institution that they are dependent on again it's it is not something that that fosters true self-governance. And then of course to centrally control the system, to micromanage everything, to to decide how many people go into what field as needed by these end users, but also information gathering and individual tracking is a huge part of this. So as you read the all one system agenda, it's like an 8 point agenda, there's just so much government money going into uh, it literally says from birth to career, I think Stacey Abrams used to say cradle to career, with integrated employer, school counselor programs that are heavily subsidized by the government and involve a lot of tracking. It was very Alison McDowell, a lot of information gathering at every level. So this may be one of the reasons it just targets people. uh, I mean, I'm going to say in the lower economic end of the spectrum, because that's where they want these, the kind of coders, you know, the open air prison coders, and that I, I have seen a trend and I've talked about it before where they want to take out like the way they want to take out the middle class, they want to take out middle class, higher education, private higher education that the middle class has access to. I remember thinking that about Operation Varsity Blues where they arrested all these people who were giving huge money to private schools, and I felt it was a massive deterrent for that big source of money that makes private schools affordable for people who can't necessarily pony up what might be really $100,000 education per year. So this free community college thing is going to compete, actually, with middle class four-year schools or whatever, like if you're facing down big money at USC and the kid can go to community college for a couple of years, maybe you want them to do that. You're going to choose that and not everybody's going to end up getting piped into that four-year degree. And as the demand for those schools goes down, perhaps the, the number of schools will go down. So then you'll always have that Ivy League ruling class, highly endowed college that doesn't even need government money or tuition to keep going can be highly selective. And then you have this big middle gap and then you have this whole big, you know, base of the pyramid that's real thick. I mean, I think maybe. So that is definitely a possibility. Um, But the World Economic Forum, like the way they approached it, they took it a whole nother step and they're like, we don't even want college. We don't want kids to go to college. We want to be able to pick them out sooner and evaluate them in other ways. Now, actually, one of the things that caused all of this, the moral hazard of schools, of school loans, was that uh, there was a case called Griggs versus Duke Power, which said that you could not give someone an IQ test to give them a job. So now schools can do that. They give SATs and ACTs, which are basically IQ tests. So if a company wants to know if somebody has a high IQ, they just look at the school they went to and they can look at the GPA. And if the government's paying for the schooling, that company doesn't have to actually pay them anymore to catch them four years later after that. So I actually think subsidizing tuition is a way of just subsidizing wages. And it really benefits these big, big players who get to decide who's going where, you know, what, what pipelines to fill up. And I thought, oh, one thing I forgot to mention, which was really funny, is when they were talking about the counselors, they're like, the counselors who will help the kids, you know, get in touch with their inner craving, which they definitely are not. They're helping the kids choose cybersecurity as a career (laughs) because that is nobody's inner craving. Uh, So they said, we want counselors. The counselors would work for the students, not the school, the way doctors Work for the patient, not the hospital. I just cannot even say that with a straight face. The whole problem during this whole COVID thing was that the doctors were absolutely positively beholden to the hospitals they were affiliated with. That is Brzezinski's grand plan. There is no way these school counselors are working for the kids. It's like HR. I always thought HR, like in the banks I worked in, was like there for me. They're definitely not there for you. They're there to protect their employer from lawsuits while they curate and cultivate the uh, employee body. So I thought that was kind of funny. One, and one other thing was the, of the information gathering, it was just like the IRS. So a recent deep dive I did, we talked about the IRS having whatever, getting 80,000 new people or something to collect more taxes, one of the plans that they want to implement, which I don't think I mentioned, is they want to streamline the process of filing your taxes by filing them for you. All they need is to have all of your information And that's what they're saying for these. We can give you the school loan repayment if we have all of your information. You don't even have to file for it. So it's all information gathering. That, too, I think will go hand-in-hand with central bank digital currency. So that, I think, is the agenda. I think the agenda is to just fill that STEM pipeline, to make sure everybody's involved in an institution they are beholden to, um to make sure that you cast a broad net, gather everybody in it, and if not everybody can be a STEM slave, you can forgive their loans and send them on their way. Maybe they'll be slaves to drugs instead. This All this stuff reminds me of report from Iron Mountain. Uh, but for me, it all starts with like the, the policies that drive all this stuff. And I wrote an article, I'll put it as a blast from the past in the newsletter this month. I wrote an article in 2016 about how All the problems with employment, immigration, education, school debt, all of it was a function of policy and maybe just as simple as subsidizing education, higher education, um, and I even have a way to make it even better, which I'll tell you in a second. So when they subsidize college education, when they give you school loans, regardless of the major that you're pursuing... That is a moral hazard. And the government and your parents are signing off on this and letting you really access your inner craving without any governor. So your inner craving might be jazz, but the idea of having to pay back those loans needs to be something ever-present in everybody's minds. But you're being insulated from the consequences of this decision, whereas if the government didn't subsidize it, the, the, the banks would have to evaluate the NPV, the net present value of your career choice, and they would have to evaluate, I guess they'd have to evaluate your personality, or what they would really probably do is just anybody who is going into computer science, they would give loans to knowing that 20% of the people wouldn't pay them back. So you'd pay 20% more or 25% more in your interest on that loan, but you'd probably pay it back. And because of that, it would tighten up the student body, and it would uh, greatly reduce the number of dropouts and tighten up the pressure on tuition at the schools, um, as, as the schools would not have those bloated bureaucracies. It, a lot of things would fall out of that. And again, like we said earlier, allowing bankruptcy would make both sides think hard. Will this drive me into bankruptcy? Will this person go bankrupt? Insulating school loans from bankruptcy is a moral hazard in itself. And as I, I think I also said this earlier— um, If you disconnect the value of the career from encouraging people to pursue those careers, you have people who are going into fields where they're not needed. And that's when you have that disconnect between jobs and job seekers. And that not only creates that debt problem, but it creates a need in the workplace that will attract immigrants. Whether you like it or not, you're keeping a bunch of people unemployed while you attract people from abroad who either have big money to pay outsized tuition and don't need the school loans, who have gone to, who lived in countries where those countries subsidized their education. So when they come over here, they have the education, but they don't have the loans. They could take lower wages. And... On the lower end, if you've college educated all the people who really shouldn't have gone to college because they don't have skills that have that kind of productive value, they could be doing blue-collar jobs, but they're not. And a lot of them can get government assistance at a at a at a level that they won't take the blue-collar job. And that will pull up immigration to the lower tier jobs as well. So you've got a lot of a lot of dysfunction in the market when you put that inefficiency in there. There's also the disempowerment that comes from free college, because you have a lot of people then going to college who fancy themselves entitled to it, or that they're academics, when really very few academics are really needed. You maybe want cutting edge people to go into research. You want some people to teach people who really need to be taught that or to keep certain disciplines alive, but free college just will flood that zone. But what's worse is you then have no power. You have no power to vote with your feet, vote with your dollar, vote with your choices. So then, like, when you looked into Europe, you could see that there was austerity coming down. And then all the students, idle people probably, mostly, uh, or it seemed like to me, flooded the streets to protest government policy because it was going to affect them directly. Whereas if you pay for what you're getting, you can just stop paying or pay more or whatever. For me, the agora... That's like the the marketplace is the way to, to have like a peaceful weighted voting process for people who have skin in the game and are willing to put skin in the game. So you're kind of replacing the agora and economic principles with protest and politics. And that's just so disempowering, so demoralizing, and very, very inefficient. Plus, it gives a lot of central control at the top. So for me, when I think of like who should be going to college and how should you divide that up, either it's for people who are going to go and make money, enhance their skill and their earning and their productivity, their contribution, their efficiency, in which case they can pay their school loans back and you're okay matching them with a bank that's going to evaluate them that and uh, help them evaluate that, or it's just for pure academics, in which case... You can pick the phenoms, and and the schools will pay for that, or you've got daddy's money. It's just for rich people, which is great, because it will keep the idle rich occupied with something that's interesting to them or has some value there, whereas the rest of us want to connect what we're doing with how we feed ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. Another moral hazard with disconnecting where the rubber hits the road making people permanent students or not having them pay stuff back or maybe getting them, encouraging them all to work for the government is that my only hope for the woke generation for these like uh, you know self-proclaimed communists is when they get up and out and off TikTok and out of school, if they get a private sector job, they're going to have to contribute or get fired. They're going to understand that their earnings reflect actual value added, and they're going to resent taxes that other people are going to get off of their paycheck. They're not going to like that. And then my other hope is that they have kids who they love and realize this is not a good society to have kids in. Uh, They're hitting both of those. They're attacking both of those natural mechanisms for social goodness that I think. So I think in the end I would say that if you end subsidies, you will create a free market for this education. It will be much more efficient. And if you, you could actually, if you stopped corporate taxation, now it wouldn't be everything. It wouldn't, ending the subsidies would save you some tax dollars. It wouldn't save you as many as you would lose from corporate taxation. But corporate taxation isn't really that huge a revenue generator. I don't think, maybe $2 trillion or less, less than that. But if you reduced or eliminated corporate taxation, imagine the corporations around the world that would flood into the United States and it would go back to the way it used to be. When I was a kid, I remember many people in my town, there was a small pharmaceutical company, not a big pharma, and they would hire tons of people in the town. I mean, many, many people I knew worked there. And I actually, IBM was not too far from my town either, and both companies had the same thing, where they would hire people, They would hire them as secretaries or work in a lab, and then they would, if they were promising and interested in working hard, they would put them through school. And in the end, you had to kind of work there for a couple of years or something if you didn't want to pay it back. But you would get all of that in there, and that is such a natural draw in your community for matching skills with employment demand And also, it doesn't just pipeline everyone into these prefab things that totally divorce you from what you're good at. So you don't have to go work at that little pharma place, but you would if there was massive subsidies there instead of doing something that was a little more nuanced, a little more organic. So I feel like there's a a lot to this topic, of course. I think everybody does. And I guess my takeaway in all of this is When you're headed down the path of advising your children or even determining for yourself if you want to pursue some higher education, really think about why. Don't allow yourself to be brainwashed by the social impetus to go to college. Think about why you would go, what you could do with the money and the alternative, and if you were about to get heavily indebted, think really hard about it because they could be setting us up. They could be lulling people into a false sense of security, always forgiving the debt, always forgiving the debt. And then you think that they'll always forgive the debt and then they don't. And then what? Maybe there's a debtor's prison down the road or I don't know what, but just think hard about getting yourself into debt because it feels like to me the very first thing a person does when they reach adulthood, 18 years old, first thing they do is take on tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt and their parents happily sign on. I mean, that's what I did. I took on probably more than that. And I got basically a full scholarship, but it was just the other cost did, you know, academically, the other cost did add up. And, uh, and I just feel like it's, I think it's, it's a, there's a call for mindfulness, truly a call for mindfulness. So that's it. I am Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez show. And if you want to hear this and all the other shows I've done so far, commercial free, be sure to subscribe to Deep Dives with Monica Perez on your favorite podcasting platform.